Welcome to episode number six of the Better With Brock podcast. I have Katie, is it still Katie Gilchrist? Yeah, Katie Gilchrist. I, I have Katie Gilchrist here with me. We actually worked together first in Sydney at Fitness First when I was a personal trainer. Um, now she's relocated to the UK. And we are going to talk about her transformation initially and then kind of dive into a bit of her story which is very inspiring i was a part of it early on and it's progressed from there and i guess you know it'll be a very uh, insightful conversation even you know like uh, as i said i f- i find it very inspiring but um yeah we'll dive into that later on but first of all katie thanks for uh, staying up tonight it's 8 20 over there yeah, eight thirty, which probably doesn't sound very late to your listeners. They're probably like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> That's late for me. Even sometimes, Kiki and I have dinner at about five p.m. and we're like, "Yeah, let's just have dinner and just call yeah. it a night early." Guess yeah, late. It is late for me. I haven't. Yeah, I struggle to stay awake past eight thirty, nine o'clock at a push now. <laughs> All right, we got seven minutes. <laughs> let's make this one good. <laughs> So, um, uh, I wanted to chat first about your transformation. So we, we ended up working together when I was a face-to-face personal tra- trainer. So I was relatively new to the game, I guess, in personal mm. training. Cause well, I'd done it in New Zealand. I had done it in, in the gold coast, but when I was in Sydney, I met you relatively early on, uh, in my time at fitness first. Um, but we managed to lose 7.7 kg. I, I, uh, dug up the statistics and we, lost, <laughs> and we lost 14 centimeters on your waist, which was awesome. And the thing I loved about you when we were working together is you were just like really fixated on being strong. Yeah. And the 7.7 kg was fat. Yeah. Because we had right. the two DEXA scans. Do you remember it? What there was no loss of muscle. I do remember that conversation now. Sorry. That really slipped yeah. my mind. All right. Let me, uh, say that again 7.7 kg fat loss not weight loss because there's a difference yeah there is a difference um so yeah as i was saying you were really fixated on being strong which i really Mm. love because it's it's especially as as a female just because there was you know there's so much oh you know women only do cardio because that's you know how you lose weight or that was like you know the men do the weights and the girls don't Mm. Uh, and, and I was always trying to get my clients, my female clients on the side of lifting weights. It doesn't make you bulky and all this kind of stuff. So, so why were you so fixated on that? And like, how did you not think, Oh, I need to do cardio to, to lose fat. Like what was your mindset around that? Um, well actually years ago, that is what I thought. Cause I didn't know any different. So before I moved to Australia, I did go to a gym and I did treadmill and I did a few 10Ks, I did a half marathon, and I hated it. But I didn't know what what other exercise women did. And then I moved to Australia. um, I decided to join a gym, and I thought, I'll go along to a few cardio classes, you know. And this is before I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually really hurt my back in that body pump class, actually, because I had no training, and they were just like, here, lift all these weights really quickly. Exactly. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I posted about that actually yesterday on my stories about group classes. Cause someone was like, you know, should I do group classes? And I was like, the times that I've done them, I was forced to do them by my 
personal training manager. So I get a feel for it. And I hated mm. it. Um, but yeah. when I was a PT and I kind of peeked through the door, I was like, that is a room full of potential injuries just waiting to happen. Like <coughs> you're squatting straight away. You're deadlifting straight away. You're doing complex exercises when there's about 50 people in the class. They can't really watch you. And it's, and it's about sticking to the tempo. So you've got to go as fast as possible. You know, like mix really fast and relatively heavy with bad form week in, week out. It's not good. Yeah, no. So, so I did actually really hurt my back doing that. But with the Fitness First membership, I got some free PT sessions. So I went along mm. today with no intention of continuing. And I met my trainer called Steve and he introduced lifting to me. And then I kind of carried on the PT with him. And I think if it wasn't for him introducing deadlifts and squats and things to me, mm. I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known about them or carried on. I'd never would have thought myself, let's go and try and learn what all those <laughs> dudes are doing over there. That looks fun. <laughs> <laughs> and it took a long time for me to get comfortable in gym. And I remember going up one day, looking through the window and it's really, really full. And I was just like, nah, turn around and left. I text Steve and I said, this isn't for me. I can't do it. I had a complete meltdown, complete panic attack. And he spent an hour texting me and trying to get to the bottom of what was wrong. And I just said, well, I just, I'm worried that I won't know how to use the equipment. So he just went over and over the equipment with me. And then after our session one day, he just went, right, do all that again by yourself. See you next week. Bye. Walked off and just left me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You remember that? (laughs) I remember but it worked and I really, you know, I was really frightened, but I went around and did all the same things that we'd just done again. And that kind of set me off on my way. Um, and then I moved into CrossFit for about six months and I really mm. enjoyed it, but I hated the cardio. And then I started to miss lifting in a controlled manner. I was like, mm. this is silly. You know, we're, we're sorry, anyone who loves CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we had to do really heavy lifting, but really fast. And I think, I think basically I tried it, I loved it, and then I started to not love it. Mm. And that's when I was like, well, I want to go back to the gym. So I came back to fitness first, and then somebody had been talking about you at work. Mm. And so I got in touch with you. So I kind of came to you a little bit prepped to do lifting. And I remember coming to you, and I'm like, want to do deadlifts, don't want to do cardio. <laughs> You would like, great. <laughs> this sounds great. Yeah. Well, as I said, I was always trying to convince people that they don't need to do that because even though today it's, it's a bit of a dated thing to think that you have to do cardio to lose weight. Like I think the calorie deficit chat is, is getting very popular. People are kind of aware that you need to create that. It's not just about going for a run and, and, and trying to lose fat that way. But then I still talk to people that are like, yeah, I'm running, I'm trying to lose weight and I'm just, you know, like it's still out there. Um, Mm. So it's always a kind of challenge for me to try and beat that out of people and say like, you don't have to do that. Like, and now, um, you know, especially after us working together, I could say to ladies, look at, you know, look at Katie, (laughs) she lost, you know, almost AKG and we didn't do one minute of cardio, you know, which is you know I don't not think that i ever run for a bus to be honest <laughs> <laughs> you're like it's not worth it i'm gonna lose muscle if i do that <laughs> <laughs> i'll get the next one don't worry 
Yeah, it's, but you know, like we didn't really focus on it and we just focused on getting strong and we just focused on um, calories, which was a big one for you, like tracking calories and being aware of how much you were eating and, and, and kind yeah. of. Yeah, like portion sizes. I mean, it wasn't about eating salad, which was really good. It was about just reducing the portion size a bit, being mindful of how many calories are in that full fat milk latte you're having you know all mm. those kind of hidden calories um and yeah i was hungry for a bit but that, that's okay it's okay if you're a bit hungry yeah i think that's one thing that you have to understand when you're dieting as well like a lot of people will start dieting get hungry and go oh this is you know it's not meant to be like this i'm gonna i need to eat yeah. more because i'm starving it's like well you kind of have to get used to that feeling in your stomach that's like okay i'm a bit hungry but it's like that's how you drop body fat. You can't, well, you can feel full and drop body fat, but there's always this element of hunger that you kind of have to put up with. Yeah. And I trusted you, you worked out my calories and you knew how much I was training. Mm. So, so that really worked. I think if you're doing it by yourself and you've got no help, it's, it must be really hard because you'll sit there to your plate of salad <laughs> <laughs> eat it and be really unsatisfied and then go and eat loads of cakes or something i don't know yeah but i think that's why it's super important to track and a lot of people will say it's obsessive or it's bad for your mindset or eating disorders and i do think that there is a group of people that probably shouldn't track yeah. at certain times in their life but i do think that it creates an awareness that you never really forget like you just really need to track like even tracking for a month will help, but I'm a big believer in at least kind of six months somewhere in your life. So you have this idea where you're like, okay, I know what a banana is. I know that, yeah, the full fat milk latte in the mornings, probably a 400 calorie bomb that I don't really need to have in the morning. Um, and it just gives you this awareness. Like I will never forget just because I was so OCD about it when I was younger, like how many calories is in an almond? <laughs> like I used to count I've, I've shared this before but I used to count my almonds and I was like okay there's yeah, seven I remember you saying that yes, I have no clue yeah seven calories per almond and I used to have 20 because I knew that was 140 calories and I know that so that probably is obsessive I probably shouldn't have tracked at that time but but I have this awareness of at least I know when things are high in fat high in protein high in carb you know do I have many calories left because that's high in calories and and I think you know like you're a very great example of how it benefited you so you didn't have to eat salads or things that maybe didn't interest you and you were still eating food mm. that you um that you liked as well yeah yeah i don't think like the types of food i ate didn't really change i just knew that if i ate a cake you know i maybe wouldn't have as much dinner or something yeah so you're having cake first <laughs> cake before dinner <laughs> yeah cake for breakfast yeah i like it <laughs> so so you also managed to kick alcohol to the curb as well yeah and and i i have never really drunk i tried it when i was younger but didn't really kind of catch on to it didn't really get it i think beer tastes gross i think wine tastes gross um and if i ever did i liked baileys which i get a lot of crap for <laughs> well that's a bit <laughs> but, weird that you don't like basic like beer but you you don't drink you didn't drink but you drink baileys <laughs> well because i used to sip it when my mum would have it um, oh, okay yeah and then dad would have beer and it would just like if you will have the option of beer and baileys i don't know i just got into baileys but anyway that's kind of irrelevant what like because because you just kind of stopped it like you just went like okay i'm just not doing it anymore what made you want to do that 
Well, I've always been one to get really bad hangovers when I go social drinking. And I think, how old was I when I met you? Maybe like 36, 37, 37 years old. And I think my body just started to get worse when I was drinking, the older I got. And then it got to the point where I was getting really, really sick, even after two or three bottles of beer. Mm. So I reduced down to, you know, like low, low alcohol beers. And then I just thought, what's the point? There's just no, there's just, there's no point. So I think I'd had a really bad time one night with some alcohol. I'd got really bad hangover and I was just like, no. And that's it. I'd, I have not touched a drop of alcohol since. That was like three or four years ago. Yeah. That was a long time ago. Yeah. So and it's weird because... Sorry, go on. No, no, you go. You go. It's weird because... At first, you feel really self-conscious about being out with drunk people. Mm. But then over time, that's your norm. That's your normal. So you don't think anything of it. And actually, it's the drunk people that find it. They're the ones that are uncomfortable with it because they're like, how can she be like this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think some people feel insecure about their drinking that they do. So I've experienced that a lot because I haven't drunk for pretty much most of my life um people are like oh why don't you drink or you should have a drink just because they feel guilty for drinking and we're not yeah. out there saying like oh why are you drinking you're a bad person or drinking's bad for you but just the decision of you not drinking some people it kind of rubs them up the wrong way because they want to be doing that but they're drinking because I don't know, maybe they're giving into peer pressure or maybe they just enjoy it, which is cool. But those usually aren't the people that kind of are a bit weird about it. They're like, Oh, just have a drink, man. Come on, just relax. Let your hair out. You know, this type of thing. Yeah. Um, they don't I get that you already are relaxed. And I remember one of our friends, I think it was about one or two o'clock in the morning and everybody was really, really drunk. We're at a house party in Sydney and our friend just said to me, he was like, how do you put up with us? Because we used to go most weeks. He's like, how do you put up with us when we're like this? And I said, you're kidding. This is the best bit. It's hilarious. And I was like, none of you are going to remember this, but I will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually, I actually like that part of almost kind of looking after people, making sure they're okay. Because you're able to drop them home. <laughs> or you're able yeah. to be like, look, man, I think you should like not make that decision that you're trying to make. Uh, and you have this clear perspective. Um, and yeah, I think people think that you're not having a good time when you're not drinking, but it's, it's, well, I'm the opposite. Like, I think I'm having a great time when I'm out there. And I think if I was also drinking, I'll be a bit crazy because I already get, you know, high energy. Um, but what helped you, like, what helped you stick to it? Because a lot of people would have tried that just gone cold turkey. I'm not drinking anymore, you know, and then they, Friday comes along, Saturday comes along. Sunday comes along and then they're hungover on the couch and they're like, okay, I'm going to do it again. Fresh start on Monday. But you've actually stuck to it for years. Like what yeah. has been the, the secret for you? Do you know what? I think part of it's personality. I'm stubborn. And when I put my mind to something, <laughs> that's it. I'm doing it. Um, and part of it was the fear of feeling that hangover again. And also thinking how disappointed I'd be with myself. Mm. I mean, there's been times, you know, on a, on a sunny day when I've been like, oh, a nice fresh beer would be really nice. But 
then I'd think, well, no, because I'm going to, I really regret that because, you know, just to have one beer after two years or whatever. And my husband often says, you know, you know, you'd regret it. So I think it's a combination of stubbornness, personality, setting my mind on something, not wanting that hangover again, knowing how disappointed I'd be with myself. So I guess looking at what the consequences would be before I take the action. Yeah. And, and I think you actually were feeling a lot better. I remember in the personal training sessions, you were talking about how great you were feeling on the back of it. Like when you were training and, you know, when you're waking up the next day, especially a Monday as well, coming into, you know, you have to go to work, you have to, you know, you were training with me. I'm pretty sure we were training early on in the week, um, but, but you were feeling heaps better. So that's obviously going to help yeah. as well. Yeah. And I just think you just feel better in, in general. It's one of those things that you kind of probably don't notice straight away, but over time you start to think, well, yeah, now I actually feel normal. Like compared to always been hung over each week. Yeah. Yeah. But your training was like going really well. And I remember we were getting like, like one of our things, and I'd love to talk about this just for a little bit was like hitting heavy PB deadlifts. Like that was our thing. We're like, all right, we're going for it. You know, we're going for 80. We're going for this. We're going for that. And I think it's, yeah, actually, before we go on to it, what was your heaviest PB? I can't remember it off the top of my head now. I could probably pull your program yeah, up. But. I think it was 97.25. 97.25. Is 2.5 a weight? Maybe. It wasn't quite 98. Or was it 98? It wasn't quite 100. Mm. Almost made it. But that is, that's strong. I'm like, mm. not many people we were aiming. They can lift almost 100 kg. No, and I was 50 kgs myself at the time. <laughs> yeah, double body weight. <laughs> that's, that's very impressive. That's very impressive. Yeah, I remember we were going for 100, but we didn't quite make it before mm. my operation. Yeah. But we did make the pull-ups, though, and we, we did the Spartan. Yeah, that was massive. I remember that. that well, that was, that's cardio. Here's us saying that we're team non-cardio, and then we did, we did the yeah, Spartan that- race. That's why I was at the back of the group and you were like stuck at the back with me. <laughs> I was like, let's do this. <laughs> that was such a good day though. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed all the um, like the rope climbs and everything and getting over that really big A-frame thing that I was terrified of heights. And I remember just like really tentatively climbing over the top. I was absolutely terrified. And you were at the bottom at one side and my friends were at the bottom of the other you know, all kind of patiently cheering me on. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's so good that we, like, that we were focusing on, as you can tell by like the Spartan, by hitting PBs and, you know, training regularly, that we were focusing on getting stronger. And we were focusing on performance-based goals, right, which I'm very Ooh. big on, as opposed to just aesthetic-based goals. So focusing on what our body can do as opposed to just what our body looks like. And I think that's that's what led to your success. Like we were just, yes, we were tracking calories and sure we were aware of, you know, what your body was looking like, what your physique was like, what sort of progress we were making. Cause we were taking photos. We were measuring your weight. We were taking your measurements. But I think if you just focus on aesthetics, the kind of performance based stuff doesn't really come because you're not worried about how strong you are or, or what sort of weight you're lifting. And then you just kind of focus on, and I think a lot of people get stuck in this, this kind of 
just what you look like. And then if you look bad one day or you gain weight randomly, you kind of feel down and you feel like you're not making progress. And it's quite hard to measure sometimes by photos and weight and measurements because they can do funky things, you know, it's, 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 mm. especially if you're a female and you have your menstrual cycle, you can gain a couple kilos and then you're like, oh, well, I'm not making any progress. But if you're mm. focusing on what your body can do, performance-based goals, you can accurately measure if you're getting stronger and if you're progressing, like for you, hitting chin-ups, hitting PB deadlifts, um, I think that's just so important. And I think you can get the aesthetic or the look that you're going for if you focus predominantly on the performance as opposed to just focusing on what you look like in the mirror because that doesn't really translate to anything but kind of trying to help you get more confident, which is a great goal. But I think that confidence can also come if you're getting stronger and focusing on your performance, which is what you were doing. Yeah, and <clears throat> it's weird because I hadn't, I hadn't really reflected on that until you just said it, but yeah, everything we did was about the performance, wasn't it? Mm. I mean, obviously I liked how it was changing my body, but it wasn't really my primary focus. Yeah. but I, I don't think I ever came to you and said, oh, I've got a little bit of fat here. Can we get rid of it? <laughs> yeah, it just kind of happened, you know, which, yeah. is, you know, which is great. And I think a lot of people can benefit from that approach. Not saying that, you, you know, that we don't want positive changes in our body. Yes, we do. But the fact of getting stronger over time is going to help us build muscle anyway. And then you're probably mm. going to burn fat, obviously, depending on what you're doing with your diet. But it was just, you know, it was so refreshing, as I was saying, to see you just kind of come in and train hard. And you were like, I want big traps. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember sending you photos. I took some photos while you were training. Can you see traps. it up there on the kitchen cabinet? Is it there? Go. Can you bring can you it? see it? No. Oh, I can. Yeah, I can see your frame, but I can't see the photo. That's that photo you took of me doing pull-up chin-ups. Wow. Actually, yes, I can see it now. I can see your blonde hair and your arms out the side. <laughs> and you got your, uh, yeah. I think it was your Lululemon singlet that you had. Yeah. Lululemon, yeah. But I, didn't, I didn't do that photo. What happened was I put it on Instagram and secretly my mum printed it off and wrapped it up for present for me for Christmas a couple of years ago in a frame. And I was like, well, I can't really put it on my windowsill or something. That's a little bit, hey, look at me. So <laughs> it, went, it went up on the kitchen unit. And then we moved house a year later. And now it's on the top of the kitchen unit here. Because every time I look up there, I think, well, that's, that's what I can do. Even though now I'm pregnant. And like I said earlier, I, I feel like a walrus. <laughs> I can just look up there and be like, it's okay. I can do that. That's do that again awesome. that's <laughs> awesome wow that photo's really made it it has yeah and i didn't even know you'd taken it yeah that's awesome so how many chin-ups did we get to five nice which might sound really pathetic to some no people. that's no there's a <laughs> you know there's a lot of people that can't even hit one you know not that that's uh you know that's a failure or anything but five is a huge achievement so we got five yeah. chin-ups we got trap it was trap bar deadlift wasn't it yeah, trap that personal best that PB was trap bar deadlift. Yeah. Um, but I did sumos and regular deadlifts as well in my program. Yeah. But the PBs were on the trap bar. Mm. Which I know some people look down on the trap bar, but I don't care. I'm a I'm a huge <laughs> fan of the trap bar. I think it's so great. And <clears throat> you find often people don't get that lower back pain when they deadlift. 
for the trap bar. Because I remember when we would do deadlifts, even though your form was great and, and, and it looked fine, when you'd finish, your back would be, just feel a bit off sometimes, like, oh, it's not really working. And then as soon as, soon as I, you trap bar, it worked. Yeah, I had, I've got a funny back because when I was born, I had a really curved arch and I had it kind of corrected as I was a child. Um, and then I remember when I started deadlifting with Steve, I kind of got stuck maybe 50 kilos for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it took a long time. And I think my, my back, is it my back that's really dominant over my abs? So I just, anything that's like kind of horizontal, so like planks, it really, really hurts. Mm. Um, yeah, I did have issues with my back, so I had to work through that. And then once I'd got past that kind of 50, 60 kilos, it did start to get a bit better. And, and I started to learn when it was, when something was off and then I would just stop. I wouldn't carry on and push. Um, mm. But the trap bar definitely, yeah, it did really help with that. Yeah, and I think if you got a problem with the trap bar, that's just I th well, I think it's stupid because it's about finding a solution that's right for you. You know, it's like like what if you're holding a trap bar or holding a barbell? What's the difference? Mm. <laughs> like it's like it weighs the same, and you're actually allowed to train. And the yeah, like the thing about the trap bar is the weight's all around you as opposed mm. to in front of you, which yeah, so your erectors or your lower back they just switch on for a lot of people. And then it's like, oh, how's that deadlift? Like, oh yeah, it was just all my back. It's like, well, it's, a, it's actually a lower body exercise. <laughs> <laughs> like your back should, should like, if you're doing it properly, yes, you're like your lower back's engaged, but it shouldn't really be the main mover. Because if you're lifting with these small little erectors in your back, as opposed to using, you know, your, your entire legs, that's not an efficient way to train. Um, yeah. And it's like with planks, you know, I'm, I can't do planks very well because it's just so much strain on my back. And I think, well, I don't need to do a plank. There's plenty of other things I can do to get, you know, a, a strong core. Like even the deadlifts give me a really strong core. I had, yeah. you could punch me in, in the stomach and it'd be rock hard. Yeah. But I couldn't plank for 15 seconds <laughs> without being in pain. Yeah. And, and I think that's the beauty of training. You know, there's something for everyone. Like I remember we would do dead bugs. Um, because we tried planks, like we really tried them. We gave them a good go, but they just never really worked. So there's, you know, there's no point doing it just to kind of force it if it doesn't work for you. Mm. Mm. And you, uh, so you touched on before you said, you know, before your operation and I, and, and I would like to dive into it because, you know, that's why you said, you know, we didn't have time to kind of reach the hundred kg trap bar deadlift. Um, but take us through kind of what we kind of worked through. Cause, cause I remember you telling me, um, you know, that we had to, well, before we started training, like you prepped me, you know, that, you know, this is what I'm going through at the moment. Um, and then you kind of, you know, later on towards the journey, you told me, you know, that there was a time frame where we had to kind of wrap up training and, and, and for you to prepare for your operation. Um, mm. yeah. Can you talk about that a bit? I'm not really sure how to kind of dive into it. <clears throat> yeah. So I think it was, I think I'd been diagnosed when I met you, hadn't I? Yeah, because you had the you about it. yeah you had the Instagram going too. Yeah, so it was December two thousand seventeen um, when I was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and it's <clears throat> it was non malignant, so not cancerous, but they were they're considered life threatening because they grow towards your brain stem. Um, but in reality, a surgeon's never going to let it grow that long once they know it's there. So I never actually 
feared for my life, but mm. they are quite serious. They grow in your um, ear canal on the balance nerve and they affect your hearing, um, your balance, they can affect your facial muscles. Um, the tumor is called acoustic neuroma. So I got that diagnosis in December 2017, but actually I'd been investigating it for two or three years, I'd say. So I basically had like a soapy taste in my mouth for a long time. Mm. And I had loads of investigations from the GP, you know, procedures, um, B12 shots, um, endoscopy, colonoscopy, all these different things. And I eventually found a private ENT who said on his website that he looked into taste disorders. So I went to him and I'd, I'd actually, I'd created my own scale of how bad the taste was in Excel and tracked it and made it into a graph. <laughs> right. <laughs> Super nerdy. That's great. Anyway, I took this graph to him and I said, this is what my taste has been like for the last six months. And it was up and down, up and down, up and down, no pattern of anything. He looked at it and he said, well, you've got a sinus problem because it's all over the place on your graph. Mm. And as I was leaving, I said, oh, by the way, my husband said I'm going deaf. And he was like, okay. So he said, go here for first off for a CT scan for your sinus and then go here and get a hearing test done. So off I went, I thought a sinus problem, you know, not a big deal. I didn't get around to having that CT scan. Um, but I eventually went for the hearing test. And when the lady did the test, the results were that I'd lost certain, I'd lost hearing of certain pitches in my right ear. And she said it can indicate a tumor. So she said, you need an MRI. So I was like, okay. So a week later, she emailed me to check I'd booked it in and I hadn't. And I was like, oh, okay, might be serious. So I booked in the MRI. And obviously in the meantime, I'd gone to Dr. Google to yeah. find out <laughs> As you do. Tumors, yeah, tumors that affect the hearing. And I'd actually only come across one, which was the acoustic neuroma. So I had the MRI. Um, and I went back for the results and he said, he put, he put the scan up on the screen. He said, okay, so tell me, what do you see? And I said, well, like one side of my sinus was all black. So that's completely blocked. So that is what, what was causing the taste. Mm. And then I saw this little white, like kidney bean shape. I just pointed it and I said, a tumor. And he was like, yeah. He said, you've, you've got an acoustic neuroma. Mm. So I was like, okay. And I already knew about it. I knew it wasn't cancerous. Um, I was quite calm in the appointment. And he, he looked at me and was like, are you okay? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm okay. And then I went outside and I phoned my husband. And then that's when I cried. And I was like telling him I've got a tumor. Um, his boss drove him over to where I was. <clears throat> and we kind of went home, digested it. And my manager from work called um we had a chat and he said he was calm as you sound you are as what as what you sound and i said well yeah i don't know it just kind of i mean i was upset and it was it was scary but i think i just kind of processed it quite logically and quickly yeah well you were tracking 
and 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 I didn't even know about this, but you were tracking your taste and you were kind of researching. So I guess you were prepared for it. If it was, you know, if it blindsided you, you know, maybe that would have been a bit more yeah. of a, a bit more of a wake up call. But because you were so diligent, did your homework, maybe it didn't affect you as much. Yeah, maybe. And I took a couple of days off work, um, me and George, and you know. I did join a couple of Facebook groups and it was good to ask questions and kind of find out technical stuff about it. But over time I started to think how negative they, some of the groups were. Um, and I really didn't find them helpful at all because I didn't have that outlook. Mm. So, and that's what, that's why I started my own Instagram page, to be honest, because it was really hard. I wanted to see pictures of people. It sounds a bit, you know, weird, but I was like, well, what, what does somebody look like after this surgery? Yeah. You know, what does it do? What's the recovery look like in pictures? And you just couldn't really find it. So I started the Instagram um, page, which I've actually closed now just because I saw that. Yeah. I've got to a stage where my recovery had kind of plateaued and I didn't want it to be one of those accounts where it's like, here's what I had to, had for lunch today. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted yeah. to do other things, you know. I was doing Just eat it, no one cares. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. So, and I thought, I did it for three years, you know, it takes a lot out of you. You'll know this. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yes, I do know this. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was, it was such a, it was such an inspiring journey to follow and especially knowing you. Um, and, to kind of yeah i don't want to jump too far forward you know we can kind of talk about that after but how so so you've joined a couple of facebook groups you didn't really want to dwell on the negativity of it because like a lot of people would fall into that mindset of you know being the victim you know which is you know i'm not trying to say that it's not a bad thing that's happening you know and it's not something that you should worry about but there's definitely that positive mindset that you carry that I think is super beneficial to do to focus on in hardship you know like I was you know not to kind of put the story on me but when I was dealing with my mum's loss I read a book called The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale and that like saved me you know sometimes I'll say that 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 book saved my life because it was like the power of positive thinking. It sounds so cheesy. And sometimes you read the book and you're like, Oh man, yeah, whatever, you know, just be positive when you're going through all this stuff, but it, it makes such a change. It makes such a big difference in your life when you're like actually staying positive in this time. So, so you started the Instagram account, you kind of started posting stuff that wasn't negative, that was positive, you know, and you were just, but you were also being honest as well. You're being real. Like it wasn't like, Oh, you know, I'm feeling amazing. And, you know, this is going to be such a fun journey. Like you were very honest as well. So, so where did that take you from there? Once you kind of started doing some research into it and started focusing on being positive. Well, it, it wasn't really a conscious decision to be positive. That, that's just the way I was, I think. And I think it's who you are. Yeah. And just to touch on what you said about being honest. It's not about ignoring how horrible it is. It, it's just mm. kind of about, for me, it was about being practical and, you know, thinking what can I do best for me? And it's also about framing, like how you frame your words. So, you know, people might go on the Facebook groups and say, 
I've got this life-threatening condition. Well, yes, in theory, or it is life-threatening, or before MRIs, it was life-threatening, before the medical advances we have now. But in, in actual real life, if, if your tumour is found and it's small to medium, they're never going to let you die from that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of thinking about how you, how you, how you frame and what words you use to yourself. Yeah, language is huge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think I just wanted to be, with my Instagram, I wanted just to post practical things that might help um, without the doom and gloom, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you went, so you went through with the operation. Do you want to talk a little bit about that or, or not really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. So they monitored it for a year and it started and, to grow. And we and were training through this time. Yeah. So that yeah. year that I was training with, with you, they were monitoring it. But I always had in the back of my head that at some point I might need this operation. And I just wanted to get really as strong as I could and fit and healthy as I could. Yeah. So I guess but, that was a big motivator. Yeah. But I think that's an awesome testament to your character as well about that positive mindset and, and, and about being honest and, and, and all of that while we're talking about it. Like you were still training, like you weren't going, oh, you know, I have a brain tumor. I can't train. You know, my life is over or, you know, or not my life is over, but my life is limited. So mm. I can't do this and that. Like you were still pushing it. And I, you know, like I would push you hard, you know, and, and I knew what you were dealing with. Um, mm. But you know, you were really courageous and still training hard and still dieting and still checking in with me every week. Like it was, it was awesome to see, like not many people can do that. Just, just being a hundred percent healthy, you know, without a brain tumor. Well, the thing is right. One, it's funny because some people, when they get diagnosed, you see in groups that they're saying, well, can I do this now? And I'm like, well, could you do that the day before you knew the tumor was there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, yeah that's a good way to put it it's the only thing that's changed is now you know it's there yeah exactly so so yeah i guess yeah so it was being monitored and it started to grow and it was um 13 mil when i first had the tumor so that's like just over a centimeter and there's different approaches to the surgery that they can do and one of the approaches could potentially um, preserve the hearing that I had. So I had lost 30% hearing already. And they might have been able to save the other, the other 70% with this specific type of surgery. But if the tumour got bigger than 15 mil, they could no longer do that approach just because of the angle they're going. Mm -hmm. The downside of that approach was that there was more risk to the facial nerve because of the angle they go in mm. they kind of went in the top of the skull rather than through the back of the ear so i had to make a decision did i want to risk my facial nerve and try and save the hearing and if so i had to do it quickly because it was fast approaching the the, the cutoff point yeah or i could have left it let it continue to grow at whatever pace they're usually slow growing and they're kind of spurts mine grew quite quite a bit in six months um and then maybe in five or ten years i could have had the operation and that would have gone through the kind of the ear back of the ear 
then that would have 100% destroyed all the hearing in that ear. So those are my two options. Mm. Risk the facial nerve, maybe save the hearing, but have it done now. Or wait five, ten years, definitely lose the hearing, but probably not lose the facial nerve. Yeah. So we decided to go with the, it's called middle fossa approach. Um, when they go in through the top of your skull. Um, unfortunately, I lost all the hearing. It just switched off. And I got grade six facial paralysis, which is the most severe facial paralysis that you can get. So mm. all the bad things that I was told may happen, all happened. <laughs> mm. Um. And I've, I think the thing I was most scared about, which is what most people with this tumour are scared about, is the facial paralysis. Um, aesthetically, it's really hard to adapt to, but also mechanically, it's really hard. So I had the surgery, I woke up, he said, you've got facial paralysis. I don't really remember this. You know, I was in intensive care for two days. I was just completely out of it. I didn't really care. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, I don't care. But the other thing is, um, they have to cut your balance nerve when they do the operation. Mm. So you also have to learn to walk again. Yeah. Yeah. So, I remember so you go you, through that rehab. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you sending videos to me walking around and, you know, relearning how to walk and even, you know, just kind of, well, you also had scars as well. So you had to kind of, um, you know, we'll not deal with them, but, but, but you had that. And then you had to kind of reteach your face. You had to reteach how to walk as well. Like you, like you went through a lot. Well, yeah. I remember when, when I was discharged, I was in a wheelchair being pushed down to the, to, to the car. Our friend came and picked me up. Um, and I got in the elevator and there's this little girl stood in the elevator opposite me. She must've been about seven or eight. And I looked like I'd, I'd just come out of a car crash. I had half a shaved head. Yeah. I had a massive scar that went right from the top of my skull all the way down to my ear. A swollen, paralyzed face. One half of my face was just frozen and not moving and droopy. And my wow. eyes were all puffy. And, and I just kind of get, get this little girl, this little cheeky half smile. <laughs> <laughs> And she just smiled back at me and I was just like, oh God, I look, you know, I don't know. I just, do you know what it was, right? I really love coffee. Me and too. <laughs> coffee in England is awful. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> there was this coffee shop that I used to go to every morning. It was one, one block away from a flat. And I said to myself, I'm going tomorrow morning because part of your recovery is you have to go out for a walk every day. Even though you sleep probably 23 hours a day, you have to try and go, go out. Yeah, I was sleeping all the time because it's the same impact on your brain as a brain injury. Yeah. So you have a lot of fatigue, which I still have now. Um, hence why 8.30 p.m. is late for me. But anyway. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided I'm just going to go. I'm going to get my coffee. So George obviously walked up with me got my coffee said hello to all the coffee guys and you know they asked how I was because they all knew I was going in for the operation because I went there every day yeah so that was my motivator and it's a bit like pulling the band-aid off 
just go out don't hide in your house if you've got facial paralysis after this operation don't hide in your house because it'll get worse and you'll build it up in your head yeah well you got a lot of time to kind of just lay there and think so you can create all these scenarios in your head yeah yeah so i just went out and got my coffee and did that every day and then one of my goals i remember was to walk to fitness first to see you yeah i remember it and a walk that normally would take me 20 minutes took me about 45 minutes. And I got there and I rang you and you weren't even there. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because the goal was to get there. And, yeah. and, I, and I did that. So I just kind of set myself little walking goals. After a while, it became about building back up the stamina. Mm. Um, you know, and... <laughs> I was a bit disorientated. It's not like I would just walk down the street and fall over, but if I turned my head too quickly, I'd get disorientated. Or if it's dark, mm. I'd get disorientated. And that was that still happens now. You know, if it's dark outside or if I turn too quickly, I can easily walk into the wall or something. Mm. Yeah, I remember you sending videos uh, when you were walking. And I remember you sent me a photo uh, when I missed it out the front of the Fitness First Steps. I still yeah, remember I did, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember you sending me videos of you walking and yeah, it wasn't like you were falling over, but you weren't like in a solid straight line and you weren't, yeah. and you still had to reteach your, well, not like, not that your legs forgot how to walk, but you still had to kind of, you know, reteach, I guess your balance in terms the balance, of balance. Yeah, that's it. So okay. I feel a bit like a fraud when I say I had to learn to walk again, because people usually think of people who've been paralyzed or mm. had a back injury. But what it was, because they destroyed one balance nerve, you have to let the other balance nerve compensate mm. to kind of keep you straight. So that that was the aspect of the retraining. Um, I got actually I got told off in the hospital, so I had a stroller for a few days. Had to use the stroller, <laughs> and then one day I decided not to, and I was using the like the handrail, and George was next to me. Then I took my hand hand off the handrail and this nurse just yelled at me down the corridor <laughs> I try i don't know do i yeah 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 but maybe there's a safer way to try or maybe at a later date but i guess that goes back to your attitude of always you know trying to improve trying to make progress somehow and push yourself yeah and when i was in intensive care um the physios came in I think it was the first or second day because they get you up really quickly because the qu quicker you up the quicker you start to you the balance comes back and mm. it feels awful because you've got vertigo and you feel like you're on a ship with sickness yeah and it's, and it's awful but all, all I knew in my head was I knew my legs were strong and I knew my core was strong so I knew they would keep me up straight all I had to do was balance and so I stood up and then they said, oh, you're quite strong. Do you want to go for a walk? So I said, all right. So I'm walking down intensive care with three physios. And then I walked back and they said, people don't usually do that on the first day. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, have you got a trap bar around? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Couple 10 kilo planes. Yeah. That's awesome. And another little thing, it's it's really small thing, but the hospital beds, they're really big and clunky and hard to move around in. But I could easily just pull myself up and move about, you know, with my arms because they were strong. Yeah. So all these really little things that 
I tried to say on my Instagram as well, you know, if, if you're going in for your operation, all these little things are going to help you. Get it doesn't struggle. matter if, if your fitness levels are less than mine. There's always something you can do to improve to make it better for you when you do go in for your operation. Yeah, and that's the benefit that, that you had from training with me, you know, or just training in general. I'm not trying to claim anything here, but you, you know, getting strong, eating healthy, trying to live your best life before you go in, you know, that was like, that was inspiring in itself. Cause, cause you kind of, you know, at, and at one point you knew that there was a time that you would have to get the operation, but you weren't like, Oh, you know, I'm going to stop now six months out. Like you, like, like we literally trained till the last day possible. And then you were like, I need to, um, I need yeah. to start preparing or I can't remember the reason or the actual timeline no, that you left, but it was relatively close to when you were having the operation. Yeah. It was okay. a few days before, yeah, the operation. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And do you know what? I had to I went through a grieving process when when I left the gym because that was one of the most upsetting things about knowing I was gonna have that operation. You know, what what would my fitness be like afterwards? Mm. So what, what- so what has that been like? Sorry to cut you off after after the surgery. Because I'm, you know, like we've been staying in touch. You've sent me videos of you, you know, deadlifting again and even things that you were doing early on because you went and saw a, a, a physio or sorry, not a physio or maybe a personal <laughs> trainer that focused on balance and on that area of training, which I'm like, you know, that's not me. I'm not a, you know, I'm not the person to see after that. <laughs> like if you want to... That's why I never asked you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you no, want to get I, some PBs, you know, I'm your guy to see, but not, you know, after yeah. your surgery. But the other thing as well was the gym that I moved to was right next to my workplace. It was in the same building. Mm-hmm. And because I was having the fatigue, the tiredness, I just had to cut out anything that was, you know, using up energy without a purpose, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the new PT... We did a lot of um, coordination and balance work and probably a little bit too much cardio for my liking. I think I swore at him quite a lot and scowled. And <laughs> he deserves it. But um, we did things like, I actually did my first single-legged box jump after my surgery. That's crazy. The amount of balance that that takes and coordination is, is crazy. And it was terrifying. And I remember putting these videos on my Instagram of my failures beforehand. I didn't want to just put the one up of where I did it. Mm. So there was a bunch where I just kind of like, I don't even know what I did. I just kind of ran into the box and flopped on it. I don't know. It was just scary. But eventually I made it. Um, yeah. So so things like that. And it and it and I did start lifting again. I think I got to like maybe 50 kilos. Um, you have to be careful because if you do too much lifting too soon, you can cause a, a CFS leak, which is brain fluid leak. Mm. Um, okay. So after the operation, you're not allowed to lift anything more than a bag of sugar for a month. Bag so of sugar. That's, why, that's very specific. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was, that was the surgeon's example. No doing laundry, no doing the dishwasher nothing so George had a month off work to care for me 24 hours basically mm. make sure I didn't, didn't do anything and 
you know get get everything that, that I needed um but yeah so we worked a lot on balance and things like that and I started to um to get back into deadlifts and I just did it really carefully because I didn't want to you know cause any more damage yeah um so yeah that's actually nine weeks nine weeks post-op I did a handstand wow really yeah did you send that one to me maybe i don't know i put it on instagram but anyway yeah nine weeks post-op did my wow. i did a handstand i could do them beforehand though so <laughs> yeah once again that helped yeah because we'd done a lot together hadn't we of handstands yeah we yeah we did a bit yeah so that was a, that was that was really a good achievement actually i wasn't really sure Again, I just had to put my, my trust in, in my strength and just hope that I stayed upright. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but and then, well, seven months after the art, we moved back to the UK. And then I was doing my master's in London, but I was commuting from North Yorkshire. So it was really taking a lot out of me. But I did join a gym again, and I was going maybe once a week. Um, and then lockdown happened. Mm. Yeah. So how was that? Did you train at home or not really? It was really hard because we were in a really small flat and yeah. yeah, so no, not really. It just, it was just my fitness levels just went downhill. Um, they opened up again. So I started going back again. Then we moved house to another kind of another County and I joined a gym here uh, where I live now. And it was a, it's a woman's only gym and it's like circuits. So you go around using the same machines and mm. I'm sure you, knowing me, you, this wouldn't surprise you that after six, six rounds of that, I was bored. So yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I go in the studio instead and use your equipment? And I got a bit of a lecture on how, um, lifting weights won't get me the results that I want. <laughs> really? What were they saying? You're like, mate, you're talking to the wrong person. I know. I was just, I was just like, don't even bother. Um, but what so, sort of advice is that in, well, in the first I think, place? I think it was more that they just preferred these hydraulic machines um, because they said you, you get the most out of your muscles in both directions. And I thought, well, you can do that with free weights if you're doing it properly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but because it was not set up to be that kind of gym. It only had light weights and only a few dumbbells and a barbell. So I've been doing that. I was doing that for a few weeks, a few months. And then I was pregnant. I got pregnant. So I carried on into my second trimester, but then I started to get really, really tired and mm. just not right. I wasn't right at all. My mental health wasn't right. Pregnancy absolutely knocked my mental health um, and my physical health. And so I stopped going to the gym. And I found out afterwards, actually, my iron levels were so low. Yeah, okay. Um, my midwife checked them, and so I was put on iron tablets. And so now my energy is a lot better, but I'm now in my third trimester, and I'm the size of a walrus. So <laughs> <laughs> I switched to going out for a walk every day instead. Yeah. So that's where I'm at at the moment. Um, and actually, I bought a bar barbell yesterday for home. Okay for after when the baby's born. Yeah, nice, wow. 
So do you have, well, well I, I guess you'll see how you feel afterwards, but uh, in terms of a timeline after training, you're going to get back into the barbell. Yeah. And I'm going to get some dumbbells and, you know, stuff that I can do at home. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. It's such a, like, you know, that's why I wanted to have you on. It's such an awesome story to hear. Um, and I guess it's, it's, it's so consistent to, to hear your mindset and your attitude throughout, you know, even training with me, um, how you were so driven and so, sorry, my voice sound like I've been smoking. Um, your, your drive just through us training has just continued, you know, through going through your surgery, recovering and dealing with, you know, and you were studying, now you're pregnant, you know, you're still doing things, which is so awesome. Like you're still progressing. You're still, um, yeah, pushing your body to the limit, even though there's, you know, been limits that you've already really pushed that other people can't really push, you know, being 100% healthy or without having a brain tumor. It's so awesome. It's just been so consistent, you know, like your attitude, it's such a great attitude to have instead of taking the old, you know, oh, this is, hard or woe is me type of attitude which it definitely has been i'm sure you know you're touching on times where you're feeling great and being consistent i'm sure there were tough times as well where you were upset and you said you know you've gone through times where you were grieving which is totally understandable Mm. it's just so awesome to see that you've you know remained strong yeah i i did i definitely grieved um my fit my fitness it was probably when I was when I got pregnant and I was in the first trimester I had a lot of nausea and sickness and you know then the iron problems and then on top of that I had the fatigue still from the brain tumor and mm. when you've got a health condition or multiple health conditions you you get a lot of appointments that come with that and a lot of daily routines you know I still have to do the facial exercises I'm still having facial physio now for my face um, it's now about a grade three um, but I'm, I've only just recently trained, retrained my mouth, how to eat with the mouth closed. Um, like I said to you earlier, last week I had surgery on my inside of my mouth to have the a growth removed where I'd bitten my lip when I had the facial paralysis in the early days. And it just turned into this big kind of growth. And whenever I'd eat something that was a bit more complicated to eat. I would bite it and it was really painful. And then Mm. I'd avoid eating on that side. So then I wasn't retraining those muscles. And this is nearly three years post-op and I'm still going through all of that stuff. And it's just really, it's just really draining and tiring. So how Um, do you, so how do you stay positive or how do you keep showing up every day? Because what's the alternative? The alternative is a spiral into nowhere good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I've often been asked that question on, on my stories. How do you stay positive? You know, not that, you know, I'm not saying I've, I've been dealing with stuff, you know, as difficult as, as you have been. But once again, you know, coming back to that book that I read, um, but I've said that before too. What's the alternative? You know, if you wake up, and you're not positive the alternative is being negative and then as soon as you have that negative thought or that negative approach to the day like you said it's a downward spiral like you you know i like the saying like um i don't really know i guess it word for word the actual quote but like you know you you get what you see 
So if you wake up and you kind of put on these negative glasses, that's all you're going to see as opposed to waking up with these positive glasses. You know, you can see, let's say you can see opportunity, you can see love, you can see, you know, happiness in certain things, you know, oh, it's raining. You know, if you had the negative glasses on, oh, it's such a shit day. I can't believe this. You know, it's meant to be summer, you know, as opposed to like, okay, it's raining. I'm not going to go outside, but I can do things inside. You know, that, yeah. that's a small example where that negative or positive thought or decision can impact the rest of your day. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I have tantrums, you know, and, and I get frustrated and annoyed about things. Um, and, you know, with the tiredness and stuff like that. <clears throat> and even more so in the pregnancy, it, it's just made it a hundred times worse so everything that i had going on already is just even worse being pregnant because your balance is compromised the bigger you get you know yeah just little things like putting my socks on is really hard because i've got a big bump and then i'm tired anyway because the pregnancy and i'm tired anyway because the fatigue and then i might have a tantrum you know and and getting a strop and cry yeah <laughs> but then i'll just like be like right okay come on let's do something a bit more productive but i think the other thing as well that helped me was what well, doing my instagram really helped because i felt like i was being useful to other people and also useful to myself and then when we moved back here i wanted to do a master's in psychology and i came across a master's called health psychology so it's everything to do with behavior and and health um you know such as stopping smoking reducing alcohol um you know eating habits all these different things and i did my dissertation on carers experiences of looking after acoustic neuroma patients yeah so i interviewed over the year i interviewed mums dads daughters husbands wives partners all these people that had looked after people like me um and i finished the masters and then in spring last year i submitted it to a journal for publication um that takes a long time a lot longer than i thought so i've gone i'm now going through the second round of revisions for it um but i'm hoping that it's going to be published early next year awesome so 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 what were the like can you talk about it or no yeah 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 it's it's my no no i can talk about it's my dissertation Uh, i just decided that i wanted it published because when when i when i chose my supervisor um when we had our first meeting i said to her i want to get this published and i want to share the findings with brain tumor charities because otherwise what's the point in doing all this work for it to just sit on my Google drive and never be seen. Yeah. And, and, and she loved that. And, and now I work for her as a researcher. Yeah. <laughs> all these good things have come out of it, you know, and, and we're trying to get this, get it published. Um, I've presented the findings to the British Acoustic Neuroma Association already. Um, I worked with them to recruit people and this week i've had talks with brains trust um another charity in the uk they kind of support people with all kinds of brain tumors 
Um, so, and the good thing about getting it published is that it can help charities when they're making funding applications. So they can say, look, here's a valid study that says uh, carers need more support in these areas. And it just mm. kind of gives them a bit more backing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that comes back down to, you know, having that positive mindset as well, that positive decision that you've like, okay, I want to do something that's going to help impact other people that have been in my situation or people just around someone with, you know, um, is it acoustic neuroma? I want to get it mm. right. Yeah, get yeah, it. that's Yeah, good. like like people being around it, you can help them once again, you know, but it's that decision that you've made. Okay. I want to help other people instead of all, oh, you know, this is so hard. I'm just going to curl up into a ball and complain. Uh, that's, you know, that's so great. Um, uh, what were the like major findings that you, that like that you found the common threads that will really help people in the future? Yeah, I think the most common things are lack of information at diagnosis stage um you know and lack of signposting so people kind of left the appointments not really knowing where they can go and get support and help from mm. um and not also yeah and also lack of um information on the recovery of the patient so quite a lot of the participants didn't realize just how um impaired the patient would be afterwards and, and it was quite scary for them. Mm. So that that was another area. Um, it's difficult because particularly the NHS is very overstretched, you know. Um, but for example, one, one person didn't realise that the partner might feel sick and, and he, he saw them being really violently sick and that was obviously really distressing for him. Yeah. So just things like that, really just kind of getting an accurate picture of what can happen because it'll, yeah, you know, like you're saying, yeah, it can stop you from being blindsided and being surprised or getting upset or demotivated yeah, that you're not recovering exactly. at the right rate. And, and that's another thing, you know, people weren't sure, like, you know, should my daughter be more progressed than this by now? They just, they didn't really know. And they didn't really have many touch points afterwards. It was kind of go home and recover we'll see you in six months or whatever. Yeah. But you were out there trying to PT, get some PT in, get some handstands in. <laughs> yeah. I think I started the gym after five weeks, actually. As soon as, so I, I said to my um, surgeon, I was like, is it all right now if I, you know, go upside down and do handstands? And he looked at me and he was like, well, yeah, but why would you want to? <laughs> You're like, said, why not? I was like, for fun. <laughs> Yeah. So obviously everyone's recovery is going to be different. So some yeah. people might not be able to do a handstand after nine weeks. Some people no. might still be grasping how to walk in nine weeks yeah. or 10 weeks. Yeah. And this is, you know, I did put this on my posts, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you can't do a handstand, but if can you walk around the block, mm. you know, can you just go out for a stroll? And the other thing to know is, People are often older when they're diagnosed with this, so they have a lot more complications. So recovery is a lot harder. It's mm. genuinely harder for those people. Yeah, and I think that comes down to to kind of all goals as well, or recovery or trying to progress in some ways, having smaller goals. Like to mm. to take this into the gym setting, so many people want to, you know, lose 10 kg straight away or squat uh, 100 kg you know, deadlift, you know, whatever amount, but then they 
they try it straight away and then they fail or then they give up. But if they did what you're saying is like, okay, instead of going for a handstand, can you walk around the block? Mm. You kind of get these confidence milestones. And I, and I, and I've actually been thinking about the last couple of days, like the snowball effect of setting smaller goals, how it just gives you that confidence, you know, like you were uh, learning how to walk and you were also, you know, uh, like learning how to, to re or strengthen your facial muscles. And then mm. you kind of, you know, you were trying to figure out how to do a single leg box jump. And then you were, you know, um, deadlifting 50 kgs and stuff. You kind of had this, you know, I guess not, like not blueprint, but you had these little goals that you were setting uh, whether you are aware of them or not and making progress on those. And I think that's such a powerful way to do it. Um, and I think, you know, especially on days where you're demotivated or don't feel like doing anything, which we have a lot, which obviously you will have a lot as well. It's about mm. having small goals. Maybe you just want to put your socks on, <laughs> you know, Yeah. <laughs> or, or yeah, just, you know, start your day with a glass of water and then have a healthy breakfast and then, and then just see where that takes you for the rest of the day. But having these goals, I think that's definitely a way to kind of continue making progress and not like not getting demotivated because I think that's mm. the worst thing. That's the worst thing when you try something, you fail and then you give up, you know, which mm. is, you know, which is what a lot of people do. They have these huge ambitious goals like, Oh, I'm going to start a diet. So I'm going to go hundred percent keto. And then you stick to it for one or two days and, and then you just can't stick to it. But instead you can just say, okay, I'm going to, instead of having three meals and three snacks, I'm going to have three meals and two snacks. Like mm. maybe that's going to be a better approach for you. Just setting the small goals and kind of gaining that momentum. Yeah. And another thing that people after this surgery with the fatigue, another good thing to do is pacing. So spreading out your activities don't it's a bit like don't go for massive goals go for little ones but also don't book all your social activities in one week because you'll probably be exhausted the week after you know spread them out um do smaller things kind of smaller doses mm, yeah it's a really effective way of managing fatigue hundred mm, percent so obviously i don't want to keep you too long i guess just to kind of close up this conversation um what is life like now for you like obviously we've kind of touched on it you're you're pregnant you're i guess struggling a little bit just in terms of energy um mm. but you're like what's life like now you're working you're pregnant you know you're with your husband yeah so i've got a few research projects that i'm trying to wrap up before um for January, um, then I'll go on mat leave. Baby's due in February. Um, yeah, I'm look we're looking forward to it. We don't know if we're having a boy or girls. So that's really exciting. Yeah, we were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we were chatting about that before jumping online. I like that idea. Yeah, and yeah, it's just exciting now that it's going to get here. And then, what I really want to do is one once I've kind of adapted to having a baby. I do want to start training again, um, potentially with with your, is it with Better With Brock? Program? That's the podcast, Built By Brock. Built By Brock, that's it, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's still with Brock though. <laughs> yeah, training with Brock. I've I found it hard to find anyone else, to be honest, that that, that I trust to to help me get where, where I want. And because we work together for so long in person, mm. it, it'd be easy for me to you know, follow your online program. 
Yeah. And I just, I really, I want to be a health inspiration to my child as well, you know. Whether they're male or female, I want them to know know about lifting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's so important, you know, and I think it's definitely helped you to to be the strong person you are physically and mentally where you are today. But I think that's awesome to have that kind of role model figure for, you know, for your child. I've got actually quite a few friends that have, um, that have children at the moment. And uh, I actually went to a first birthday last weekend. And, uh, oh, um, Dave Konya if you remember him from Marcus street, Oh, he was another personal trainer there. He was like my, you know, like my best friend at the gym. Um, but he just, Oh, the a... one you used to hover around sometimes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, he just had his first, um, his first birthday. Well, his, uh, his, his child. And he was like, a, like, cause you know, there's the whole, you have a kid, you get a dad bod or you kind of let yourself go. He's like, they're shredded. He's got like a six pack, eight pack, you know, like not that that's the goal, but he's, he's had the same mentality of, you know, like he wants his kid, obviously being a personal trainer, he's super into his health and fitness. And so is um, his wife, who is also a personal trainer, but he's very, I want my kid to not necessarily, his kid doesn't have to be shredded or know that you have to be, have to be, have to be, super muscly when you're older but he just wants them to be healthy you know and know that mm. you know it's it's important because it's not yeah. just about you know like i'm saying getting shredded or being buff or impressing other people it's about what you can do with your body and how that also impacts other aspects of your life as well yeah and like i said to george when we talked about goals for our kid you know i only have one goal i want i really want my kid to like like themselves because mm. i think if you like yourself you know, it, it sets you up for everything. And I think health and fitness is really helpful for that, you know, just yeah, respecting yourself and, and liking yourself. 100%. And I think that's developed us into who we are. You know, like it's definitely helped me be more disciplined, more committed, more hardworking because you do that stuff in the gym and then you're like, well, I'm, I may as well do it in the rest of my life as well. It doesn't really make sense if you go to the gym, work really hard, be really disciplined, committed, and then you get out and you're just this like non-disciplined, non-motivated person. Like it's just second nature that it's going to happen in other areas of your life. Mm. So to kind of wrap this up, I just want to say massive thanks. Uh, it's been awesome. I've wanted to have this conversation for a long time. I um, I have notes on my laptop. And as soon as I was like podcast, I was like, Katie, guilty. <laughs> have this conversation. I didn't tell you that. I didn't tell you that. But as soon as I made it, I put all these kind of people that I want to have on and, and conversations I want to have. But yeah, I think it's super inspiring. As I said at the start, it's awesome. I think um, a lot of people will find this interesting and inspiring as well. You know, like sometimes we think our problems are very big. We think that what we're dealing is very hard. But And to, and to hear your story kind of gives us a bit of perspective. Like, okay, someone's, you know, struggling to put their socks on or, 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 or someone's trying to walk or, you know, um, learn how to reuse their face. Maybe my problem's not as big as I thought it was, you know? So I think that's something that I definitely take away, but I just love your approach. I think it's awesome. You know, obviously since we work together, I thought you're an amazing person, but I think your story needs to be heard and yeah, wish you nothing but the best with your recovery as well. That's continuing and your pregnancy with bub mm -hmm. whether male or female may they be strong and like themselves <laughs> yeah <laughs>
exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks so much for coming on. And yeah, I guess we'll chat soon. You keep me in, keep me in the loop when Bubba comes out. I'd really appreciate that. I will. I'll send you a picture. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> thanks for coming on. Thank you.